From the world of fashion to astrophysics, today's guest is all about trying to influence kids to have a passion for science. Welcome to the STEM Everyday Podcast. Each episode features educators sharing their practical ideas to put more science, technology, engineering, and math into every classroom every day. For show notes and more information, visit dailystem.com. Here's your host, Chris Woods. Well, welcome back to the STEM Everyday Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Woods. And today I'm very excited that we get to chat with someone who has worked in the fashion world, but now is really using their passion of of astrophysics and and all things science to really help bring stories of people doing amazing things and and great science topics to make them accessible for, for kids and of all ages. So welcome to the show today, Athena Brentsberger. Hello, Chris. How are you doing? Hello to everyone else, too, on the Internet Ether. If you want to, you can follow her at, at AstroAthens on, on pretty much any social media and AstroAthens.com. She's worked with NASA, SpaceX, and others as a correspondent, but she's really going to hopefully share some things that I think are some great resources for us as educators, uh, but also uh, some stories and some of the background of what she's been able to do that might be some great ideas for what we can help encourage our students to do. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got on into all this, Athena. Yeah, so um, I am an astronomer and a science communicator as well as a fashion model. So basically, I study space and then I talk all about it um, as a <laughs> as a communicator, and I love that. That's actually one of my favorite things to do is actually connecting to people and being able to share my love for science and STEM with the world. But I really got into it from a pretty young age, just out of sheer curiosity, kind of for how the world around us works. I loved messing with science experiments as a kid and and kind of just getting messy, really, uh, with with different kinds of chemical reactions. Like, for instance, building a paper mache volcano was my very first science experiment. I was Mm -hmm. in third grade, and I combined vinegar and Arm & Hammer baking soda, and then I added red food coloring and made it look like lava. Uh, And so when it exploded, it just was such a wonderful moment for myself as a kid, because I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is science. This is, this seems like art, but it's science. Is art and science kind of the same thing? Yeah. That's what really launched my curiosity and my, my love for science. And for a lot Um, of kids and in a lot of classrooms, you know, things like that, those, those very simple vinegar and, and baking soda experiments can touch off something that that sparks their interest. Like you said, that curiosity, Athena, where I want to learn more. What's next? And, and you're yeah. starting to you're starting to look at some of those stories and, and bring some, but yet you also studied a lot and and worked even doing some research, right? Yeah. So I did spend some time um, in college doing research, right? When I became a physics major, astronomy minor, my is what my, my school had offered at the time. And um, I started doing research on early solar system formation. And I loved it. I love studying uh, objects that were light years away, that were really, really far from Earth. I I just thought it was so neat. Um, But what I really started to enjoy, I think the most kind of tying back to the curiosity for kids at a young age, are these more hands-on experiments because it's actually tangible. Like with astronomy, it's it's an observational science. So you're looking at a lot of data, you're looking at a lot of images, uh, which is awesome, you know, thanks to new telescopes like today, the James Webb Space Telescope. That's totally changing our perspective of space. But how can we now connect things like the cosmos to being in front of kids, in their hands, being very tangible? And that's what I love so much about uh, coming up with DIY experiments, finding different ways to sort of convey 
these topics in in astronomy and other types of uh, science subjects and bring it bring it right in front of them bring it in the classroom and and put it on their desk because that's what really keep, keeps them engaged and keeps their curiosity alive yeah and you have uh, a lot of great content on your youtube channel experiments information uh, things like that right I do have a lot of videos on my YouTube channel of uh, different kinds of experiments you could do in a classroom, also on my TikTok. Um, because uh, I started realizing after I had uh, paused doing research for a little bit, uh, what I loved so much was actually the communication of science. Um, so that wasn't only through you know writing papers or doing a proper presentation to a lot of researchers and other practicing scientists, but to actually connect to kids and adults that maybe aren't in the STEM field and to start to encourage them and maybe inspire them to possibly pursue a career in STEM or have a passion in STEM. And so that's why I really started my YouTube channel. That's why I started creating videos around pretty complex subjects and pretty complex discoveries within the realm of science and trying to sort of break it down, whether it's through a whiteboard illustration or it's through uh, an actual like hands-on experiment. They can do it marbles and like a black fabric to sort of show Einstein's theory of general relativity. There are all these different ways that you can really bring things together for kids and for, for adults too. Like I actually will test this out. A lot of my fellow model friends who are not in the science world and quite a lot of them actually, ironically, are uh, also mathematicians, which is pretty funny. <laughs> um, but, but a lot of them, I love uh, sharing it with them because if I can get them to be interested in what I'm doing as far as the science experiment goes, then I think I can get a lot of other people interested in it too that aren't maybe currently researching or pursuing any kind of science degree. Um, yeah. So yeah, so that, that was that was a big inspiration for why I, I started uh, my YouTube channel. Right. And so uh, if an educator is looking for some ideas, I mean, those are, those are great places to start. Um, it's a great resource. Uh, check it out. Like I said, in the show notes, you can find those. Um, but you've also been part of this kind of new show on, on Curiosity Stream, uh, which is also available on YouTube and, and other platforms as well, but it's called Suppressed Science. Now, you just finished up a season of it and hoping hoping for more, but tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, really, really great show. Uh, such, a, such a fun project to work on. It was the very first science show I got to actually be the official host of. So that was a huge moment for me just in my career and in my life. So it was basically a show premised around different areas of science that for one reason or another may have been suppressed, uh, whether that's through research, whether that's through some conflicting ideas or people maybe not agreeing with it, such as the merging between man and machine. Uh, a, a lot of people don't really agree with that. Um, there's, there's a lot to consider when it comes to morality and ethics. And right. so um, we basically explored all these different subjects on the show, interviewing experts in these fields that are researching these other areas or people basically working on this stuff and sort of just laid it all out in a show, didn't really tie an opinion to it, sort of just showed all sides of yeah. the story, whatever the yeah. subject was. And, and I really, I really like that. I think it was a pretty fun way to sort of just, yeah, lay everything out for, for the audience. Yeah. Um, so I would say that's definitely a fun show to, to check out as, as a resource. Yeah. Yeah. And I know Athena, the episode I watched is, is very much like that. I mean, you, you had different guests from really from both sides kind of sharing these different ideas and, and, and it's like, okay, so there, there it is, you know, and, and that's something, a skill that we're trying to help our, our kids figure out, you know, how to, how to be a critical thinker, how to take that information that's available out there, you know, put those pieces together in their mind. And, and those are even foundational about what, what a scientist does. Yeah. And you reminded me, I wanted to mention that there, I think that what's really important for 
kids at a young age and, and maybe even adults or, or young adults is to sort of like read other stories of what other STEM professionals or creatives have done. So like hearing about their stories, maybe seeking some advice or tips. And you can do that on you know various platforms like mine or YouTube channels. One place I'll mention specifically is uh, Arm & Hammer's website. They have tons of different experiments you could do as an instructor, a teacher, a parent. But also, too, you can um, read different uh, stories of other educators that have maybe different like pathways, unconventional paths, and also on their social channels, too. So this way, you can take their advice and their tips and maybe approach a STEM career or an interest in STEM and maybe realize that it might not be so scary. Because that is something I want to kind of talk a little bit with you about is sort yeah. of the, uh, the intimidation factor that I think a lot of kids might feel when it comes to science oh, at yeah. a young age. Yeah. Especially too, with like math. And I was one of them. Uh, math did not come easy to me at a young age. And I don't think it does to a lot of people. I mean, there's some yeah. people where it really clicks, um, but sometimes it, it just takes a little bit longer. It takes like, it the, you know, the right resources, the right friends, the right instructors, the tutors, tutoring groups. And then you can start to really uh, understand it, utilize it more and then use it as a tool to enhance your knowledge and ability in some other STEM subject. Yeah, and 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 so many parents, so many kids even think that the moment you start talking about STEM, you're talking about robots, you're talking about rocket science, you're talking about all these, like you said, astrophysics and, and studying far off galaxies and you know working with data. And, and sure, those are all parts of it. But like you said, it's also those simple things, those hands-on things in, in front of a kid. And, and those could be some of those great confidence boosters that then you know, turn into those next level steps and build up to amazing careers like like you've been able to to have already. And and who knows what kind of careers you get to have in the future because careers keep changing all the time. Yes, exactly. There's jobs that we can't even think of yet that are going to exist 50, 100 years from now, which I think is so incredible. I think about everyone now who is a computer software developer and how, you know, like, how many decades ago we didn't even think that that was possible, that there, there, there would be anyone who would have that job. Uh, mm -hmm. And that became such an important moment of our reality because yeah. the internet and computers really rule our, our lives in a way. So for sure, I, <laughs> I definitely second that statement. <laughs> yeah. Now, I think something if we could talk about, Athena, especially because of your experience, things that you've been able to do, that communicating piece. And, and just how critical that is for so many of our kids. You know, they get behind a screen and, you know, they spend so much time maybe just typing, chatting, things like that. They may miss out on some of those good communication skills. And a lot of teachers are thinking, how do I do that? How do I, like, do you got any ideas? How, do, how does a kid start? How does an educator start? What are some practical things that they could do to, to help bring out some of those skills in kids? Uh, I love theater class. If there was a way we could combine theater with science, uh, like maybe like emerging, I mean, so uh, this class is, you know, science communication classes that exist now at universities, right. which is really awesome. Um, and they do both the sort of more classical route of journalism and also writing a scientific journal, which is a little, a little bit different than journalism. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so research papers, but also like proper presentations. But then on the other side, it's also communicating that to the youth, for instance, or your friends. So I think that what really helped me a lot was I was actually a split major between theater and astronomy when I was in college. And I think learning that component really played an important role. And so I think for kids to sort of get out of that box, uh, get away from the computers, play like mirroring exercises with their fellow classmates, hmm. uh, and then start to maybe tie in 
um, like a factoid here and there of, of science. I think that could be a really fun way. Yeah. I would say somehow combining the theatrics, uh, the creative side of music and getting kids out of their seat. What the, what's so wonderful about science is you do a lot of that. I think a lot of us have probably taken a physics class where we go down to a, you know, an amusement park and mm-hmm. we get to choose a ride that we want to write our project on as far as the, you know, what, what, what the physics of that ride or the mechanics mm-hmm. and how that's happening. And, and I'm thinking, Athena, too, I mean, it, you got to uh, do some correspondence work like for NASA, for launches, right? Yeah. Uh, I did get to do correspondence work with NASA, with SpaceX, uh, different space agencies as well. But I have to say where that all started was actually by volunteering at museums. So a really oh. important thing I would say for kids, for even adults, I was an adult when I started, I was maybe like 25. I said to myself, if I want to be a science communicator, I want to launch a brand. I want to see how I would feel speaking with people from all different walks of life. And at museums, you get everybody, you get the school groups, you've get the, like the older couples, you get the kids, you've get people from other countries that speak very little English. That is the perfect test to truly communicate to absolutely everybody what it is you're trying to communicate. And so that was a, a really great test for me to learn not only how to do that, but if I actually feel comfortable enough mm-hmm. to speak in front of people, um, because I was, I was pretty shy at that time. And I'm like, yeah. am I going to be able to do this? And, yeah. and, I, and I was able to. That's... And so because of that, that led to like, yeah, more connections and more, you know, community and friends that I met, which ultimately led me down to partnering up with NASA and, and SpaceX. Yeah. And, and so educators, if you got kids that are thinking, you know, what are some of those ways that I could, I, I love that idea, looking for a museum, local, you know, something in the community, you know, and, and even it could start as simple as even younger kids, you know, it's just standing in front of that project that you made at that science fair and, and, and not waiting till it is a science fair, you know, getting those kids to be able to describe their projects more and more. Kids know what it means to be an influencer now. You know, educators use that to our advantage. Get kids in front of a camera and and pretending that they're that future Athena Brentsberger, right? <laughs> and, and I mean, I would even go uh, like further than that because I think the camera is a really awesome component. But I think like it can be probably scarier to get in front of your classroom of students of real life eyeballs looking at you mm-hmm. than in front of like a computer screen yeah. um, or in front of a camera. So for sure, that's a really important component, Chris. Um, but I would also say like, I, I I wonder how much fun it would be to sort of like have maybe not daily, but like weekly, you know, someone getting up and sort of like sharing a sentence or two. And I know that exists a lot in, in school. I remember doing that as well yeah. when, when I was a kid. Yeah, probably a really important component too to sort of help them also get past maybe having stage fright, being shy, being more open and being confident in what the knowledge is that they they gained and how to share it. And that's all part of that communication aspect. So I think, yeah, definitely getting out, uh, speaking in front of like their friends, their group, their classroom. Um, and then also, yeah, maybe volunteering at museums. Yeah. If anyone is in New York City, I highly recommend volunteering at the Intrepid. It's actually where I did my volunteering. They have a space shuttle pavilion there and I was under oh, the wow. space shuttle enterprise, which was really <laughs> awesome. It was super cool. Yeah, wow. it was great. So yeah. I highly recommend that place. And one other thing I'd love to ask you about, Athena, and again, educators, you can connect with her at AstroAthens on social media and AstroAthens.com. Um, but you've gotten to experience some incredible, amazing things in your career. You know, what what are, what are some of the really fun, uh, exciting stories, uh, things that, that you've been able to experience because of this? Because, because we want our kids to realize when you pursue passions like, like science and STEM, you could end up doing some really amazing stuff. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I, there's so many fun things. Uh, I think some of my, my favorite stuff has been conferences, mm-hmm. uh, conferences and events, uh, because that's where you really start to find other people that are so into what you're into. Uh, and there's something about just having that sense of community. So like I've gone to like Yuri's night, which was like a huge space party uh, in LA that happens uh, the day that Yuri Gagarin went to space, mm-hmm. uh, the first human. So he was a Russian cosmonaut. And um, that was a really fun event. You know, also, yeah, when I got to do research as an undergraduate, uh, my first my first year uh, getting a, a NASA grant uh, from my professor, which was really exciting. So being able to do that and just work with other researchers and see what it would be like to be a practicing astronomer, um, but going to rocket launches and being able to be where this massive piece of equipment that is so powerful, but so delicate at the same time was built by other humans, just like you and me, yeah. uh, that launched something like this to go to space to then deliver payloads into orbit. So, or to deliver things like toilet paper and food to the astronauts on the space station. <laughs> yeah. It is so phenomenal. And to, and to see a rocket launch in person is one of the most incredible, I would say life-changing probably moments of your life, or actually yeah. just going to space would be a life-changing moment. Uh, and again, it's that reason because it looks really pretty at first. You're like, oh, it looks like a sunrise, but then you feel the rumble, you feel the power of this machine. And I think that that's so cool. Uh, and, and to just to just throw in uh, Arm and Hammer baking soda one more time. I have made so many bottle rockets in my life with baking soda and vinegar. Um, and it is so much fun. And I think that one of my favorite things to do with students or just my fellow friends, or if you're at a space camp, is to see who can make the most powerful bottle rocket. How high can you launch it? How much thrust can you can you create from this bottle? Uh, and and I think that, that that is just such a fun thing. So. That's yeah. something I've gotten to to really do. That's really fun. Um, but definitely, big big highlights are are yeah going yeah. going to rocket launches. Uh, yeah. They're so awesome. Well, and and for so many educators, I mean those those resources are now so readily available. You can watch those things online, and all different space agencies that are sharing all those things. You could you could watch those with your kids, and then like you said, you could take them outside after they've designed a rocket of their own using some of those resources. And of course, we'll link to those in the show notes as well, because because educators are always looking for those kinds of things that, again, make it practical and hands-on to, to really bring that that science uh, home for kids. And I, I think kids can learn a lot from, from your story. I, I think um, you following your passion, Athena, really speaks to kids. And, and so what if you could, could share with educators what your hope for, for STEM education uh, would look like? I would hope that STEM education would become maybe a little bit more integrated. Uh, so like different, so we've been seeing astrobiology, uh, astrogeology, uh, mainly naming the astros just because that's what I'm most familiar with, <laughs> but but there's tons of different ways to combine the different subjects of science, which are important to have them, you know, maybe individualized, but to lessen that fragmentation maybe every now and then mm-hmm. and start to kind of combine them so that you could sort of see the bigger picture. So that's mm-hmm. what I really hope and I think that's what we're really moving towards as I've looked at more classrooms and more classes online that are being offered for kids, whether it's at schools or it's at universities, so higher education. I, I really love that because that's how I first started to sort of see the world in that bigger picture is just how integrated everything is, how biology wouldn't exist if it weren't for, you know, also having chemistry and that wouldn't yeah. exist if it weren't also for having, you know, geology and that wouldn't exist if you know, astronomy didn't happen and the stars weren't here, you know? And so seeing all that, I think gives us such a different 
awareness of ourselves and um, of our world. And um, I also would really hope that that in a way would sort of almost raise our kind of like a collective consciousness, I guess I'll, I'll sort of call it, which is sort of just this deeper awareness of where we're all at in the grander scheme of the universe. Uh, and that can seem maybe kind of scary to some people. And I do have friends who've said that before. They're like, I don't want to imagine leaving earth. And I completely understand that. But I think at the same time, if we start to shift that perspective, we might start to see a difference in the way we treat one another and the way that we uh, engage with each other. That's really cool. Uh, so so one question I do love to ask everyone, uh, and for you, I'm going to ask it like this. If you could interview someone, because you do a lot of interviews, uh, Athena, bringing people's stories to life. If you could interview somebody from STEM, past or present, who would be that, that ultimate interview for you? I would love to interview Carl Sagan. You know, I also just thought about Stephen Hawking, so I, I wish I'd have to choose one person. Yeah, um, you can have, but you can I, conversation, all three of you. Be. I, I would love to. Oh, man, that would be so epic. A conversation with the three of us, that would just be so, so cool. Um, mainly because, like, I really wish I could have had the chance to meet them before they both passed away. Um, but Carl, for one, because he was, I think, one of the very first public figures to really bring astronomy home for all mm. of us, to really start to shift our, our awareness of the cosmos and what we are as a pale blue dot floating out in space. And that, that whole video, if you haven't, um, it's, it's truly incredible. But also Stephen Hawking, because not that Carl Sagan was not a forward thinker, because he for sure was, but Stephen Hawking, some of his most interesting things that really got to me were his final works before he passed away, which was on the no boundary proposal, which was basically saying that maybe the earth, or sorry, maybe the universe didn't start from a big bang, but maybe there always was some form of existence that was always there, but there was no boundary to it and time had not existed yet. That's my basic understanding of it. Um, there's a lot more to it. There's a lot of math, a lot of quantum physics um, that is above my, my area of expertise, but that was so intriguing to me to think about that I would have loved to sit down and, and chat with him about it and hear yeah. where else his thoughts lie as a, yeah. uh, as a theoretical physicist. Well, like, like your show, Suppressed Science, I mean, tying it right back to that, Athena, I mean, hearing those different perspectives, those different hypotheses and giving kids some of those ideas is really, uh, really pretty incredible. And, and, and even yeah. some of those questions for ourselves. So I want to jump in for one more thing. I got to work yeah. with a sixth grade astronomy class um, yeah. before I, I did a whole semester actually with them. And we attempted to recreate the no boundary proposal using Plato. And it was so much fun. Um, we also then also used Plato to, and this was really just to sort of, there's computer models trying to demonstrate the no boundary proposal, also computer models demonstrate the expansion of the universe. Why not take those computer models and just make it a tangible model using clay, Plato, other types of arts and crafts. Uh, and I loved doing that. And that was such a wonderful thing because uh, these kids were eight, nine, 10 years old. And we're able to speak the whole uh, basis of what we learned about the theory, not the whole theory, but just the whole basis around the theory um, to me. And so we basically, all you really made was just an upside down bowl. Um, <laughs> so it's like an inverted kind of like a U shape. That's that's getting too too deep into it. But I just wanted to share that because it Com was such a wonderful, wonderful yeah. moment. Complex astrophysics for, for six, seven and eight year olds with Plato. That's, that's, that's yeah. what it's, that's what it's all about educators. That's what we're trying to do each and every day, trying to, trying to make the complex simple and, and give kids a, a, 
big uh, picture of the world that they live in and the galaxies that they live in. So, so great chatting with you today, Athena. Again, uh, Athena Brensberger, you can find her on all the social medias at Astro Athens and, uh, and all the other links in the show notes as well. Just so great chatting with you. And um, any, any other last thoughts for us today? Oh, it's been so great chatting with you too. Uh, I guess just one final thought is just to um, try any little experiments or moment to really spark that curiosity for kids Mm -hmm. in a young age, um, because it can just be one small experiment, one book that can really be what introduces STEM to them. And that's what can really start to grow their passion over time. And they can end up changing the world. Um, So I think that that would be a a wonderful thing to just think about when it comes to your kiddos. That's that's awesome, and and even just thinking about some of the some of the ideas and, and far out thoughts that, that you're able to share today, teachers. We don't even have to have all the answers. Even those experts don't have all the answers. So um, yeah. it's it's, exactly. it's okay. Get them get them thinking and and see see where it takes them from there. Really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today, Athena. Thank you very much, Chris. Take care, everyone. And again, don't forget to subscribe to the STEM Everyday Podcast. So many great episodes with so many great people like Athena. Uh, Again, you can find out all her information in the show notes. Uh, If you need to connect with me, head to dailystem.com. Always happy to help whatever whatever I can do to to help you have those ideas, uh, those resources that you need to to get more kids each and every day. Uh, And until then, uh, just keep doing that most important thing. Everyday educators, we're inspiring that next generation, excited and engaged in our classrooms.